Welcome back to A View From The Couch. My name is Rich. And I'm Jen. And today we are being kind and rewinding one last time. We are talking about a new Spielberg movie. Jen, what are we talking about? We're going to cover The Fablemans. Which is the newest Spielberg movie, yeah? It is. Okay. This came out in 22? I think so, yeah. The end of Actually, 22, yeah. yeah. Right as we were planning this Be Kind Rewind mm-hmm. <laughs> festival or whatever. Yeah, I think at first we were going to do this first, but yeah. then we thought, well, maybe it makes more sense to do his movies oldest to newest, and so then it got moved to last. Right, so, yeah. yeah. So we're about a year late on this one, but we had a plan. I mean, we wanted to kind of go through Spielberg's movies through the years and end on his most recent one, which is a reflection of how he got started in the movies, which is kind of, I don't know, I just felt like it was a good end cap, you know? I think it is too. All right. Well, why don't you dig into the cast and crew for us? All right. So, of course, this is directed by Steven Spielberg. This is the reason why we're covering it in our Be Kind Rewind <laughs> series. This was written by Steven Spielberg and Tony Kushner. This stars Michelle Williams as Mitzi Fableman, Gabriel LaBelle as Sammy Fableman, Paul Dano as Bert Fableman. We have Judd Hirsch in here as Uncle Boris. And Seth Rogen as Benny... What was his last name? Louis? Louis? Well, Louis, I think. Yeah. Or maybe Louis? I don't know. They He's Benny. Un- He's yeah. Uncle Benny. They call him Uncle Benny, yeah. Yes. So it doesn't matter what his last name is, I guess. But yes, okay. We also have John Williams coming back. We have Janusz Kaminski coming back. We've got... Everybody, the whole gang is coming back. Yeah, everybody he typically works with. Right. The Spielberg entourage is here. Yeah. John Williams was supposed to have retired before this, but he apparently can't say no to Steven Spielberg. So (laughs) (laughs) he was 91 when he worked on this film. He's 91. That was in 2001. Yeah. So he's 93 now. now. Yeah. Wow. And uh, he's still working. 2021, not 2001. You know, I suppose <laughs> when you absolutely love what you do like that, it it's not so much like a job versus this is just what you're doing. You if know? you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the truth. The nice thing is for this guy is that he's got enough money that he can just do this. He doesn't have to go out and do backbreaking labor. So. Right. Right. The dream for all of us, I guess. But... <laughs> So, yeah, but no, John Williams, yeah, famously was supposed to retire. He's now back. He's decided, I think, maybe working with Spielberg again kind of revitalized him a little bit. And he said, I'm not really retiring. And he did the Indiana Jones 5 music. He's probably going to keep going after that, I'm guessing, as long as he's around. Yeah. Yeah, I made a mention while we were sitting there listening or watching a special feature on this, on the 4K, that he's going to die sooner rather than later. And it's going to be a sad day, I think, for cinema when he does i think it will be yeah i mean he's contributed so much contributed amazing yeah music and scores to tons of movies everything that you think of when you think of like big blockbuster pop movies spielberg or not spielberg um john williams has pretty much scored it all Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. yeah for sure let's talk about this movie though all right let's talk about this movie so the beginning of the movie starts in 1952 and a young sammy fableman is going to the movies with his mom and his dad bert and mitzi they're going to go see a movie called the greatest show on earth sammy is kind of nervous but his dad kind of explains to him hey it's just it's science they're taking 24 still pictures and making them go past a light really really fast 
and your brain makes it look like it's moving, hence the moving picture. And then his mom says it's like a dream, which kind of gives you right off the bat this um, this idea of who these guys are. Bert right. is a Very scientist. opposite yep. personalities here. Yep. Bert is a scientist and Mitzi is an artist. She's a concert pianist, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Or she was supposed to be a concert pianist. Mm-hmm. Very, very talented pianist either way. So they go into the theater and Sammy watches the movie and he's just entranced. He's enthralled by the, what he's seeing. But he's also kind of mesmerized by the train crash scene where a car crashes into a train and then there's like a it derails and then it hits another train and it's just this massive like like crash Mm -hmm. and on the uh, i think it's on the way home they're asking him what he wants for hanukkah and he's like i don't know what i want for hanukkah but eventually he has like a bad dream and he figures out what it is that he wants for hanukkah and he wants a train Mm -hmm. he wants a train set so over the eight days of Hanukkah, he gets the pieces to the train. He puts it together in his basement, I think it is. Right? Yeah. And then he commences to reenact the film scene mm-hmm. where the train is crashing into the car. <laughs> this makes his dad upset because he's like, "Hey, this is like these are these are expensive toys, and you know." His dad reminded me of almost every dad I can think of that. That, that was expensive. You're going to break it. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> he reminded me of my dad. Yeah. Like, yeah. don't play with them like that. Play with them like this, you know? Right. Kind of keep you in that box. Keep you uh-huh. like, not in, not intentionally. They're not like, you know, doing that to like suppress you. They're doing that because that's what they know or that's what they were taught to like, you know, like respect your property and right. respect you. You have, right. I think he even says, you know, you have a responsibility to it as well. You can't just love it. You have to respect it or you have to yep. take care of it. Yeah. And then you've got his mom who's just, I, I don't know. She, these two people are so opposite of each other. It is, it is interesting how they have, you know, what attracted these two people to each other, you know? They don't seem to have anything in co- common. Well, I mean, opposites attract. I mean, it's just, yeah. that's, Paul Abdul said it best. So, but I think there there's obviously something there. They both love each other and they, mm-hmm. you know, there's something to it. I think for him, he's kind of getting both thought processes too throughout this, you know? Yeah. The artistic side plus the intellectual side where you're trying to you know figure out why stuff is the way it is you know mm-hmm. so that's that's kind of interesting you kind of get two different perspectives yeah not everybody has that ballast you know what i mean mm-hmm. most people have you know the parent that's like no 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 you can't do it this way you have to do it that way and not the other parent or they've got the one parent that's like oh do whatever you want blue and not the other parent you know mm-hmm. he got lucky i think to have both of these people in his life mm-hmm because it gave him both the the know-how and the ability to figure stuff out and the artistic edge mm-hmm. or that artistic desire at the same time, you know? Mm-hmm. So Yeah. So after Sammy crashes the train and Bert gets upset, Mitzi decides that she figures out that, like, okay, so this is what it is. Like, Sammy is trying to control... What he doesn't understand, which is the train crash. He doesn't get it, so he's trying to recreate it so that he can kind of take control of it. So control his fear in a way, right? Mm -hmm. So she 
takes she, I think it is her dad's it's it's his dad's video camera that she gives him right like his uh, not video camera his film camera I think so and she says make the movie and you're just gonna crash it the one time and then you can watch it over and over again mm-hmm. and you can then have control of that but she says not to tell anybody about it right <laughs> so it's gonna be our little secret and I was like oh what come on bad choice man what would you say don't say that <laughs> there's connotations to that now. So this kind of lights a fire for Sammy, and he starts making more and more movies that involve his sisters, who we haven't talked about, but he has three sisters. And they also, he also gets to spend time with Uncle Benny. And we learn that Benny and Bert, they work together. They're both in computers. Comes up that Bert and Benny are being moved to Arizona by their jobs. And Mitzi and Bert kind of have it out a little bit. She doesn't want to move. She doesn't want to uproot the kids. But just as they're arguing about it, the kids are like, hey, there's a tornado outside, like a real tornado. And Mitzi kind of grabs the kids and takes off in the car to chase the tornado. I was like, what is she doing? Do do we know if this actually happened? I, do, I did not read about this, but from interviews that I've been watching and just different comments that some of these actors made they would ask Spielberg in several instances did this actually happen and they said 100% of the time he said yeah it did Hmm. and so while everything might not be to the T everything said the exact same way right everything that like this incident did happen it may not have played out exactly that way but it sounds like this is a really like stuff happened like this to him through his life. So. Okay, so Mitzi, I was trying to I was trying to figure out what exactly drew her to that tornado, and I think what it was was that she felt like she had no control over anything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we learn later that Mitzi was frightened out of becoming a concert pianist by her family. Like you can't do that. There's no money in that. Why would you try to do that? You need to make money. You need to support your family. Whatever. And so her artistic self has been cooped up by the rest of society for so long Mm -hmm. that I think that this is her way of kind of trying to seize control of a life that she sees spiraling out of control. Mm -hmm. What do you think? That's very possible. She came across to me as someone who maybe needs some therapy desperately. She seemed to struggle a little with some things, and I feel like she didn't have the appropriate tools to deal with some of that stuff. I don't think she was crazy or anything. I just feel like she just had some issues and didn't have a way to work through them. But that does make sense to me because, like, she... With Sammy realizing that he didn't have control over that crazy situation, she was trying to give him control over that by letting him video it. She was losing control over where their family was going to live. Not sure why you would go chase a tornado with your three children, but or your four children, but... No, because the baby stayed behind. Oh, yeah, that's right. The three children. That seemed a little crazy to me. But something snapped her out of it on the way out i think it was the they almost got into an accident yeah there were cars like zooming in front of her and she stopped short mm-hmm. but yeah i think i think that i mean i'm sure that she definitely needed some kind of help but i don't think that this is 
entirely, oh, she has mental problems or mental illness or something like this. I think this really is a matter of, because we're going to address it later with Uncle Boris, how she was suppressed in her expression. Mm -hmm. This is more of, I think this is more of an illustration of how that artistic side is trying to kind of break out from the shell that they're like wrapping around her, I think, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, even, even later we're going to find like, when she's when she's playing piano and she's preparing to go on television to play piano, she's got long fingernails and so they're clacking on the on the keys. Like you can see in her eyes this like disdain for oh I've got to cut my fingernails I have to cut my fingernails, and it plays it plays out differently because they make it into a joke like Benny and and mm-hmm. Bert make it into a joke, but you can tell that once the clip happens for the first one, the joke's over for her, you know? Mm-hmm. I think it's very much trying to force someone who is artistic into a non-artistic role is what I think that that's what that looks like, I think, you know? Mm-hmm. That eventually that stuff's going to kind of come bursting out and you're not going to be able to stop it. It's It's a hard thing to do, I think, to take that kind of personality and make them quote-unquote be normal you know what i mean like or yeah. seem normal to everyone else so but anyway so i i just found that moment to be kind of fascinating because it also like you said you know it shows the tendency that mitzi has passed on to sammy this tendency of hey okay i need to be in control of this i need to take control of what this this fear is so yeah mm-hmm so they do make the move to Arizona, and Sammy has grown up. We, what are we? What is it? Five years later, or something like that? Some, yeah, I can't some, remember. They put it yeah, up on the screen, but they I did. Didn't write I don't it down. remember. Yeah, and he starts. He's been making short films with all of his friends from the Boy Scouts. He also has enlisted his sisters. The boys go and see the man who shot Liberty Valance, which is going to come back into play later. And while everybody's trying to tease Sammy about a girl that he has a crush on. Sammy is just kind of zeroed in on the movie and watching what's going on because he's basically, and we see this because there's actually a line in the movie that they're watching that he's going to put in his movie that he, when he makes his Western. Mm-hmm. So he's so focused on this while these other kids are just like, hey, whatever, you know, he's, he's zeroed in on what he, what he's paying attention to. I envy him that ability. <laughs> <laughs> So he does make a western. They borrow a uh, like a stagecoach or something along. It's like, I think it's a stagecoach that they borrow or they rent or something like that. And everybody's helping, like including Bert. They're you know making this film, and we get to see the film after that. Everybody's like, "Ooh, this is great! You did a great job making this movie." Even his dad, you know, is like, "Hey, this, you did a great job. This is really good, right?" But Bert. Bert says, you know, good job, but you need to focus on something that actually makes a difference, something that matters. You know? Yeah. Did this feel real personal to you? I know that you had this conversation with your parents. Yes. Yeah, this de- this definitely felt really personal to me. I was, I was thinking about <clears throat> you several times through this movie. I Because I'm like, I remember hearing stories of stuff. And your parents aren't bad people. I, no, I want to be all. very clear there. Not at all. 
but I do know that you had a desire to go into theater or movies or something. And as a profession, yeah. And that was heavily discouraged for you. My father told me that if I'm going to do that, I better have a fallback. I better have a, a fallback job. Mm-hmm. And that put into me a doubt that, through no intent of his own, I don't think, but no. um, that put into me a doubt that I could actually do hmm. what I wanted to do and that I had to, I had to make a job or I would get a job that I could make money. I found out later in life that you can always work a nine to five job. There are jobs fucking everywhere, you know? And at that point, when I was told that, if I had, I had very little debt or, or responsibilities at all, I could have gone to film school. I could have gone on and done other things. Mm-hmm. But I was, I think I was discouraged by that a little bit. And I, I'd already, I'd already had like this inkling that I was a little different which to me kind of manifests as like a like a sensitivity to rejection, you know? Mm-hmm. And this idea that my dad was like, hey, you're never going to be able to do it this well to be able to make money at it, so you better make sure you have a good job mm-hmm. that you can do something with. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it was a form of rejection. It felt like rejection to me. And then again, no fault of his own. This is just his upbringing. This is what he knew. Right, so. and this is what most parents would yeah, say absolutely. something yep. like this. I, I'm not, again, I want to be very clear. I'm not trying to say anything bad about your parents. No, at not all. at all. No, there's nothing um, There's just, nothing bad that they did there. Right? No, they didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. They're just being, they're, they're being concerned for you right. and yeah, being absolutely. able to, you know, make it. And Their know, worry, stuff, though, so. is what is what manifested in that. Right. And rather than relying on or believing in whatever talent I may or may not have had, which is questionable to begin with, but whatever talent <laughs> I may or may not have had, they 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 instead said, you know what, you know what's a guarantee is that if you work a nine to five job, mm-hmm. you get this money. And I think that that is born from where they came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents grew up very, very poor on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. They had nothing. My dad basically had nothing. I mean, he lived on the streets. Like, he didn't have a family a family life, per mm-hmm. se. And he left that and went into the military. From there, he, gave, he was given that structure, that military structure, which is you do not have creativity. You do not have any of that. You, you do this, you get paid, you get to eat, you get to keep going. You mm-hmm. know, that's it. And so there wasn't, I mean, through mere circumstance they were unable to break out of that mold that they were put into so Mm -hmm. but yes yeah the (laughs) short answer yeah this definitely reminded me of conversations i've had with my parents they will be reminded again later on by other things i didn't i don't feel like i had that uncle boris influence Mm -hmm. anywhere maybe my uncle joe but he was very critical Mm -hmm. instead of saying hey go get your stuff, you know, go do your thing. Mm-hmm. He more said, this isn't very good. Like I would write something and he'd say, this isn't very good. He wouldn't tell me why. He just said, this is terrible. No. Try again. <laughs> so, so my uncle Boris so was not constructive criticism, just criticism. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so I, so I never had, I didn't have the flip side mm-hmm. that Sammy has or right. that apparently Spielberg had. 
and I'm not saying that I could have been Spielberg. Please do not take that in any way that I no. think I could have been Spielberg. But oh. I feel like if I'd had something that would have, and I got this a little bit late in life in a teacher, my 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 art and theater teacher in high school for like my last year and a half of school. Mm-hmm. But by then it was already too late. The the worm had already like infested in my brain, and I was going to go and you know. You know, I, just, I even started out as a theater major in college and then flipped to communication major because I was like, I can't do this. I, I got to make sure I have, I got to make sure I can pay for things, you know, mm-hmm. like that's just the way it was. And you know? and just, just to be fair to your parents, there was other people too, because, you know, you and I knew each other mm-hmm. growing, growing up in the, in the later years there. And I would hear comments from family members like, you know, what's he going to do with a theater major? What I mean, what are you going to do with that? You know, so, I mean, it wasn't just your parents. I think there was no, a no. lot of people that thought that. And I think that's just kind of the mindset of that generation for a lot of people is yes. you can't make money being artistic. You can't follow a passion like that and be successful. Or you can, but it's very rare, which is true. But, you know, there are you some people that are doing it making some money and then maybe filling in with other stuff or make enough to live off. You know, everybody's different. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, they looked at it as, oh, he wants to be a movie star, Mm -hmm. which means he's going to make millions of dollars. And there's only a very small handful of these movie stars that make millions of dollars. Everybody else is working stiffs. Well, guess what? If I was going to be a working stiff, why couldn't I have been a working stiff? It's something that I loved. Right. Because I I guess I always took it as you didn't necessarily want to be the front and center actor. I thought you just wanted to be in that world. I took it as you maybe would have been happy being one of the behind the scenes people or one of the people that help create things, not necessarily the person on center stage. Mm -hmm. I took it as you just wanted to be in that world. But I, I think wanna... everybody else took it as you wanted to be front and center. <laughs> <laughs> I think because I have kind of a bombastic personality, I'm a little loud, I'm a little forward when I'm, you know, I can get goofy yeah. and be yep. like kind mm-hmm. of, you know, showy. But but I think, I think that that's why that manifested for them. And I guess I didn't have the ability to say, no, 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 this isn't that I want to do something else, you know, I want to do other things involved in that. But I mean, you know, anyway. So let's like, well, I I like really sidetracked us there. Yeah, we're way, we're, we are that train crash. (laughs) Sorry. You are the car driving straight (laughs) at the train and whoo, we just, yeah. All right. After Sammy's film, they go on a camping trip with Benny in tow and sammy records a bunch of them like a bunch of the time that they're there together mm-hmm. spending together uh, mitzi kind of getting goofy with the kids and then one night mitzi starts dancing around in front of the car headlights and sammy um sammy records it you know on his on his mm-hmm. camera Reggie doesn't want her to do that. Reggie's one of the sisters because the dress is transparent. Like she can, you can see through the dress mm-hmm. with the lights on behind her, but she doesn't care. And the dad and the, uh, Bert, Benny, and Sammy all are kind of transfixed by what's going on. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of, I love that, I love that you can see her shadow falling over all three of these guys because mm-hmm. she's a big influence on all three of these guys. It's really interesting the way that they, the way that they shot this. 
because the hints are all there about Benny right off the bat. Oh, yeah. Back back to even when they have some scenes in the house, I was always yeah. like, this dude seems a little like too friendly with, right. with them. They don't outright say it, but I just thought, well, it seems kind of like a weird thing, but maybe they're just like he's such a close friend that he's part of the family. I, I don't know. Yeah, I think the way that Mitzi looks at Benny at the dinner party mm-hmm. gives it away right right off the bat. Mm-hmm. But then the the dancing with her shadow falling over him as well as Bert mm-hmm. and Sammy really kind of illustrates it. She has three men in her life that she loves very much. She's mm-hmm. not, make no mistake, no matter what happens between Mitzi and Benny, she still loves Bert too. Yeah. You know, it's just that Benny is who she ends up needing to be with. Well, um, and yeah, you could kind of see it too, because like, well, Bert is, you know, getting the campsite together, building mm-hmm. the fire, doing all this. Benny and Mitzi are off playing on a tree. Yeah. You know, I. Yeah. Yeah. Bert, Bert is the the person that feeds her physically, like, like he is the caretaker, but Benny feeds her soul, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the dichotomy here. I mean. You need both, right? She's only got one, and she's only ever had one, too, when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Like, her parents or her, you know, the, her family squashed her dreams of being a concert pianist, according to Uncle Boris, who we will get to, Uncle Boris. Mm-hmm. But, so, being attracted to Benny makes perfect sense for her, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not the right decision, but it makes perfect sense to her. Right. Yeah. Her being attracted to Benny might almost feel like a lifeline to her like she's she probably feels like she's drowning here because she doesn't get to express what her true passions or anything are yeah definitely he might just be this this light and this lifeline to her to her soul you know like this is this is them connecting yeah yeah definitely after the camping trip mitzi's mom dies and this kind of causes like a major depression in her like Mm -hmm. she definitely she definitely gets into a very, very depressive state. Mm-hmm. Bert is kind of like kind of begs her to get therapy, you know. Meanwhile, Bert has gotten an editing machine for Sammy, and he says, "Hey, what I want you to do, I want you to take the film from the camping trip, and I want you to make a movie out of it because it'll make your mom feel better." But but Sammy has his mind set on this new movie that he wants to shoot. Bert's like, "Look, you're being selfish." I think you need to do this for your mom. I find this interesting because while Bert Mm -hmm. is telling Sammy, you need to, you know, focus on stuff that actually matters, blah, blah, blah. He's still getting him an editing machine. He's still getting him cameras and Mm -hmm. access to things. He considers it a hobby, though. Yeah. That's the thing. He does. But, I mean, he's not completely squashing it. No, where some parents, I think, might. Yes, I yeah. think he. I think what it is is that when push comes to shove, though, he's going to shut it down and say, "You need to do something important, something that matters, something real," is what he calls mm-hmm. it, not mm-hmm. something imaginary. Mm-hmm. So, but yes, I do. I do appreciate that Bert did ply Benny or Benny, excuse me, Sammy with all of the wares for his his quote-unquote hobby, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, he keeps calling it a hobby and Sammy keeps protesting, it's not a hobby. This is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. You can't call this a hobby. This is me learning my trade, you know? I mean, 
That's what it is. After Sammy and Bert talk that that night, we kind of see how deep Mitzi's depression and her mental state has gone Mm -hmm. because she thinks she gets a phone call from her mom, but her mom's not there. Like, Mm -hmm. obviously her mom's dead, Mm -hmm. but she gets warned that someone's coming. Someone's coming to visit Mm -hmm. and someone does come to visit. It's Uncle Boris. Yep. Who Mitzi tells the kids, like, my mom was scared shitless of Uncle Boris, you know? This means, like, this, to me, this is, like, there's an there's an element of, like, fantasy there, you know? Like, the idea that mom would call from beyond the grave, even in her mind, you know? Like, this mm-hmm. is not, like, real world, but in her mind, my your mom's calling from beyond the grave to warn her that someone's coming that scares her. Mm-hmm. It's Uncle Boris. I feel like that is supposed to show a little bit more, like, how... How her mental state mm-hmm. uh, is affected by her mom's departure, you know? Mm-hmm. But, but Uncle Boris, I want to talk about him. He's loud, he's abrasive, he's played by Judd Hirsch, who I love. And he is staying in Sammy's room while he's there. And he talks to Sammy about, you, you don't give up on your dreams just because your family doesn't support you. Mm-hmm. He says, "Look, if I had given up on my dreams, you know, I would. I, I, I worked other jobs. Now I work in the circus. Now mm-hmm. I do my own art. And my my favorite line in that this scene is, Sammy says, sticking your head in a lion's mouth is art. And he says, no, sticking your head in a lion's mouth is stupid. But getting the lion not to snap your head off, that's art. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, wait." Oh, wow, that's kind of like life, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Boris also talks about, this is where we learned that Mitzi could have been a concert pianist, but her family suppressed that. They kept her from doing that Mm -hmm. through their influence, not by like locking her in a basement somewhere, but their influence definitely had something to say about what she was doing with her life. Right. Yeah. And he kept, he tells Sammy, look, no matter what happens, you have to keep doing your art, even if your family isn't along for the ride you have to do this you have to be true to yourself true to your heart true to your soul Mm -hmm. and this again this is what i feel like i was missing like i didn't have this part of it until a little later you know this my my Mm -hmm. art teacher eddie sager was this guy this character to me but i feel like it had come along too 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 late like if i had made the decision to get into theater earlier or get into art earlier which my mother will tell you she suggested that i do then maybe I would have had this influence a little better, mm-hmm. a little earlier. So, and again, through no fault of anybody's but mm-hmm. my own, I made this decision. So, mm-hmm. based on you know obviously right. what I knew. So, after that, Sammy decides he's going to work on the camping film, and while he's editing, he starts noticing clips of Mitzi and Benny being a little too friendly. Very touchy-feely. Holding hands. He's got his hand around her waist for a quick second. There's a look that she gives him. And he realizes realizes what's going on. He starts to kind of resent them both. And we kind of see this influence or this experience for him playing out on the set of his next movie, which is a war movie. He basically makes the lead actor cry. Mm -hmm. Like, he gets the lead actor to cry. 
and like really get like so absorbed in what he's doing that he forgets to stop when the when cut is yelled. Mm-hmm. I wonder if Sammy realized what he was doing that that was what was going on there. Do you think that do you think that because I think somebody had to tell Sammy, "Hey, you how long are you going to let him walk? Are you going to cut mm-hmm. this or what?" Mm-hmm. So Sammy was into this as well. Mm-hmm. Like I wonder if Sammy realized what was going on that his personal life was in was affecting his film was in was finding its way into his film which i think is an interesting way of showing rather than telling that spielberg's family grow his life growing up would influence so much of his films from like late 70s through you know early 90s mm-hmm. you know yeah what do you think like do you think that he realized it i don't know if at this point he's realizing it I do know, like, we get a film later with The Beach Day, and he was, he did have real-life bullies that mm-hmm. he was dealing with, and he did portray one in the same same fashion, mm-hmm. and he said it was kind of his way to face his fear. Mm. So, maybe it's possible. Yeah. I mean, that's a really emotionally intelligent thing to do for a kid don't you think yeah i think it is and i think that we're i think that this is just the beginning of it because eventually we're going to see there's going to be a scene where bert and mitzi are announcing that they're getting divorced and he will kind of sammy will kind of see himself filming it literally filming the breakup of his family which again is in a lot of his movies late 70s through early 90s the the core family not being together, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think it's an, I think this is the beginning of an evolution of a realization for this character who, you know, real life is Spielberg, that his existence, his life can influence his art in a way that is beneficial, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I think it's the beginning of it. I think that when he realizes that he was so involved and he's, jolted out of that by his you know his friend Mm -hmm. and he yells cut i think there's a moment where we kind of get a look at his face and you kind of see like that light kind of like sparking you know Mm -hmm. the the guy that played sammy as a teenager was very very good yeah he (laughs) he had a lot of spielberg mannerisms i think the the way that he puts his hands on his hips if you look at old spielberg old photos of spielberg on set Spielberg puts his hands on his hips the way Sammy puts his hands on his hips. Yeah. Gabriel said that in preparation, he did watch lots of old movies, looked at photos, did a lot of research to Mm -hmm. get down the way he stands, the way he smiles. Like he practiced changing like how he smiles to get it closer to how Spielberg smiles. So he he did a lot of work to pick those up. Okay, good. So it's intentional. Yes. Okay, good. Very nice because I think that I think that helps evoke... This idea for anybody that I mean, there's a lot of Spielberg fans. There's so many Spielberg fans. Everybody mm-hmm. loves Spiel. Everybody loves Steven Spielberg, and I think that a lot of us who kind of follow him and and kind of watch interviews with him and like listen to him talk can definitely recognize those bits um, as being Spielberg things, you know. Mm-hmm. So Sammy premieres his war film. Everybody loves it. He's showing it at like a. I don't know where the hell he is. Is he at like another one of those Boy Scout meetings? Like a Boy Scout meeting? Okay, yeah. Yeah. So 
But and then after the after the film, Mitzi and Benny are both like, "Hey, good job!" And he just kind of flat out ignores him and goes to like the dad, who goes to Bert mm-hmm. and his friends. And that's just the beginning of that behavior because he does this for a few weeks, mm-hmm. and eventually Mitzi kind of like has it out with him. And Mitzi, like he says something to her. I can't even remember what the heck he says to her, but he's like getting ready for a swim meet, and she gets angry at him because he takes her to task on like the food that she's trying to feed him before the swim meet is what it is. Mm-hmm. And she gets so frustrated with him that she smacks him on his back and leaves a big red handprint right on his back. And, you know, she runs after him to his room and is like, I'm really sorry. You know, I want to see it. I'm so sorry. I can't believe I did that. And he wants to, she, she wants to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Right. But Sammy takes her into the he has this little little movie studio set up in his closet mm-hmm. he puts her in the closet with the movie studio and he puts the film on of her and Benny at the camping trip realizing you know what she's been caught doing she kind of breaks down and Sammy is like look I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell anybody I mm-hmm. won't tell anybody mm-hmm. so this is a little bit of a secret between them now another one another one yeah it starts to feel for a little while that it's Mitzi and Sammy against the world in that way, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, these two are the artists of the family, and the other ones are shown as very pragmatic. So they move again, the Fablemans, to California, and they get a temporary house that they're staying in in Northern California. Sammy's in, Sammy and the girls start high school, and he starts getting picked on by these two jocks, Logan and Chad, because he spikes a volleyball in Logan's face accidentally, even though he goes to apologize. they And also, they did it to him first. Yeah, they did do it to him first. And he did it accidentally. Right, he was not doing that on purpose. But they come after him in the locker room later, and they find out that he's Jewish. And so they start being being little, you know, anti-Semites. Because yeah, why the fuck assholes. not, right? Fucking, you know, <laughs> kids are assholes, man. Why are kids assholes? I don't know. Don't know. <laughs> Learned behavior from parents, I guess. I, you know. Sometimes, not I always. Can't, I but, can't disagree. I cannot disagree with that. I, I do think that is the tendency. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think it starts there, and then it spreads from there when mm-hmm. you've got friends that want to be, well, cool like you, and yeah. you're saying anti-Semitic things, so I'm going to say it too, you know? Yeah. Like, that's where it starts, though. It starts with parents, some parents feeling free to, you know, be a racist piece of shit. But Right. They call him things like Bagelman. Yeah. Which. And they hang a bagel in his. They hang a bagel in his locker. Hang. Like hang a bagel in his locker. I don't like these kids. No. They're assholes. Sammy ends up overseeing uh, Logan making out with a girl named Renee. And uh, later on, Logan and Chad kind of go after Sammy in front of Logan's real girlfriend, Claudia. Sammy just says, hey. Well, why were you kissing on this redhead if this is your girlfriend? Which causes him to get the shit beat out of him a bit, a bit more. But Logan, you know, Claudia runs away and Logan punches Sammy in the face. And then he says, hey, you're going to find her tomorrow morning and you're going to tell her that you were lying. So he does. He finds her the next morning. He sits down with Claudia and her friend Monica and says, hey, I lied. And they're like, they don't believe him. Tell, well, I mean, how do they figure it out, right? How'd they know that? I, well, cause how'd he, they know he was lying? 
Well, because he said that he saw him kissing the redheaded girl. Yes. And she says, well, how do you know she had red hair if if it was a lie? Yeah. (laughs) And he's caught. He knows he's caught at that point. But he has caught the eye of Monica. And (laughs) she... (laughs) She's different, this one. (laughs) Yeah. She's a very religious young lady. Like... You know, back in the day, in the 80s, they would have like these, like they had this magazine called Bop, I think it was. Bop. And And you could get like, like centerfold pictures of like your, like heartthrob people. And oh, you could sure. put them yeah. up as posters on your wall and stuff. Okay, yeah. So her s- setup was similar to that, only it was all Jesus. <laughs> A lot of pictures of Jesus in this woman's like room. Like posters of Jesus because he was sexy. <laughs> she said Jesus what? was sexy. Yeah. <laughs> like, and like later, like later she's going to say, you have to ask Jesus to come into you. And like, and you're oh, like, yeah, it was wow, all... she's very much into this, like yeah. way into this. <laughs> And I mean, like so much so that there's like this gigantic, like not like big, gigantic, like comically oversized crucifix over her bed circled in like red lights that look like a heart. Like (laughs) you can love Jesus. You just can't love Jesus. This is another one of those things that's like, okay, is this girl real? Did he really like go into this room and be like, what the hell? (laughs) Did, did, did you find anything out I about that? I didn't find anything okay. about right. that. But right. but again, because there's so many things that did happen, yeah. it makes you wonder it this might have actually yeah, yeah. happened. Yeah. She was, she was, but she's a nice kid. She's That's the very thing. nice. Yeah, she's she very sweet to him. She seems kind. Yeah. Um, she just has this weird, like, Jesus like, fetish. Not really even, like... into Jesus. Like, if that's what your thing is, if you are into Christianity, that's great. Be into Christianity. But this woman had, like, a this is Christ... Different. This is a fetish. This yes. is, like... She's, like, oh, yeah, crucify me daddy kind of stuff. Like, what the fuck? Like, what? <laughs> like, like... I don't... I don't... <laughs> I don't know how to describe it either. I, it's I, I, very weird. <laughs> again, again, if you are if you're a Christian, that's fine. This was like, and this isn't even like ultra Christian. This is like, I want to bang Jesus. Yes, that's what this literally that's, comes that's off. What, as. Yes, that's what I took too. If she had the opportunity to have sex with Jesus, she yeah, hundred percent would do it. She'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, this yeah yeah yeah, do, virgin birth me, yeah, virgin impregnate me. Come on, <laughs> bring it on. You're like Let's like do this what, thing. What the, <laughs> Hold on, Jesus. Let me slip into something more comfortable. It's <laughs> gonna put on my Rock Hudson music over here, Jesus. Hold on. <laughs> I'm gonna light a couple candles here. This one's a prayer candle, Jesus. I'm sure you'll like that. <laughs> Why don't you lay on the bed, Jesus? I'm gonna go into the bathroom and freshen up. Then we need to pray first. And... <laughs> fetish it's a fetish yeah, right yeah. like i mean mm-hmm. I, like i wonder if this is a real thing over there if there's like a like a deity fetish like people who want to like bang buddha too like you know like i would 100 percent not be surprised because <laughs> people are crazy <laughs> okay now now then i have to ask the question is there are there people that want to bang muhammad because you don't even supposed to look know what he looks like like you're not allowed to see what he looks like there's no pictures of him how would you be uh, sexually I, attracted to muhammad i don't know don't know Ganesha, I get, like, what, has he got, like, eight arms? Pfft, man, dude can go to work. But, like, 
Well, uh, like, okay, all right, let's just get off the subject. Yeah, let's I'm start, getting, let's like, I'm really getting here. sidetracked here with this. Like, there's got to be like other deities that have like fetish clubs. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> they start dating Monica and Sammy, and regardless of her Jesus fetish, and she ends up at dinner at the Fableman's house, and she encourages Sammy to film their upcoming day at the beach, which they call Ditch Day. Now, I don't know about you. But I never had a school-sponsored ditch day. It's not a ditch day if they're giving you the day off. Ditch day is you being like, fuck you, I'm going to go to the beach. Yeah. This is school-sponsored. There's, like, teachers there. They're, like, helping put out food. There's, like, what? What is this? Yeah, I don't know. Like, organized shit? Man, we used to just go to the boardwalk and fuck around. (laughs) What is this? (laughs) Is this some kind of 60s thing? I'm guessing so. Like trying to keep the kids from skipping by allowing them to quote unquote skip. Yeah. Because they're not smart enough to realize that you're not skipping if you're participating in a school sponsored event. Well, they were because they did say that we're allowed to do this. Yeah. But yeah. Like, the... <laughs> where's yeah. the fun in that? There's no fun in that. What's the I danger? Like, skip day is like senior skip day is supposed to be like, ooh. We're, we're doing something dangerous. If we get caught, we're going to get in trouble. Our parents are going to get a letter. We're going to get grounded so we can't get caught. So we can't get caught by the lady that's running after us on the boardwalk because we're not supposed to be on the boardwalk because it's only like late April. We're just supposed to be airing right now. Like, whatever. Whatever. This this blew my mind, the idea that they had. This made me think of like Greece, you know? Sure. Yeah. So. <laughs> anyway. So Sammy agrees, and he goes to the beach, and he records the footage, and he spends time with Monica and her friends. And meanwhile, the the Fablemans move into their actual new home, a physical house that they bought. But Bert and Mitzi announced they're getting a divorce. This is what I was talking about earlier. Mitzi is in love with Benny. And there's a lot of emotions swirling in this. And while Sammy is kind of off to the side everybody else is kind of in the middle of the room arguing and talking it out sammy's off to the side just kind of observing everything mm-hmm. with tears in his eyes and this is where we get to see this shot of him from or, uh, from his perspective him filming this breakup which i i really liked that i, I really liked that that touch the i think it takes a an, i think it's important that spielberg knows that he is or he was he puts his growth his life his you know his growing up into all of these movies he puts them from the perspective that he knows Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. there's a reason that et's family didn't have a dad you know that the that the family in et didn't have a dad or that dad was in mexico or wherever it was right Mm -hmm. it's because that's what he knows that's the that's the that's the platform from which he can spring and say this is the story from this perspective it also helped normalize that shit in the 80s Mm-hmm. You know, because a lot of kids go through divorce. Help my kids going through like went through a divorce, right? Like mm-hmm. this helps normalize it. These kids aren't abandoned. In a lot of cases, these kids aren't abandoned. Mm-hmm. There are still parents that love them. There are still families that spring from this. You know, and I do, I do appreciate that, and I think that we're seeing that impetus right there in that. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Sammy goes back to his room. And Reggie comes up to talk to him, and she kind of accuses him of being emotionally stunted. But he asks her to stay, even though she's trying to take off, she's trying to run out. He's like, will you stay and watch 
this movie with me before I show it to the whole class. He's, she's kind of going through the, the ditch day film and editing it. And she does, she sits and we get this nice moment of him and his sister watching this movie. And I think that kind of shows that even with his art, he still is connected to his family. Just not as connected as he's, the interesting thing is there that he is still part of that family, but he is removed. He's removed from it because of his art. And I think that that is shown with that, with with the the him leaving to view the the to to screen the movie, him watching himself film the 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 fight. He's removed from the family, even though he's still part of the family. But he's removed from it. He's separated from them mm-hmm. by his art, by his 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 profession. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Sammy takes Monica to prom, and. Uh, he tells her at the prom that his parents are getting divorced. He tells her that he loves her. She's not impressed with his timing, I guess, is probably the best way to put it. Well, she's not in the wrong here. No, not at all. Not yeah. at all. I, I agree. I 100% agree with that. I'm just trying to find a gentle way of putting that. She's not impressed with his timing is probably the easiest way yeah. to say it. Yeah. She's She breaks up with him, or she says, I'm going to break with him, but you're not at prom, but I'm going to break up with you yes. shortly after. <laughs> the second we walk <laughs> right, out. <laughs> right, right. So they screen the film at the prom, the Ditch Day film, and it's got clips of Claudia being catty towards Renee. It's got uh, one of the, uh, the kids that was mean to him being humiliated by a girl. Uh, it's got pictures of Logan running in a race and kind of like these hero shots of mm-hmm. Logan, like being like this, this golden God kind of a thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and everybody loves it. Everybody eats it up. Claudia even tries to make up with him after that. And everybody is cheering for Sammy in his movie, but Sammy is already left the gym and he's sitting out in the hallway. Logan comes out and asks him, why did you make me look so good after the way I treated you? And Sammy's like, hey, the the camera sees what the camera sees. I'm just pointing it, you know? And Logan really has a problem with this because he he can't live up to what he created, what Sammy created of him. Mm-hmm. He feels like he'll never be able to live up to that, even though he has positioned Logan as like this golden god, this all-American athlete, you know, this guy Mm -hmm. who, like, everybody will look up to. Mm -hmm. He doesn't feel that way, you know? Just when they're having, like, this heart-to-heart, Chad, the kid that he humiliated on the film, busts into the hallway and tries to attack Sammy, but Logan punches Chad in the face and, like, kicks him out, and, like, Chad runs off. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Logan's like, look, you can't tell anybody I ever got emotional about this. Or I'll kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> you tell anyone you cried. That's right. Yeah. And what is he doing here? <laughs> yeah. Telling everybody he cried. <laughs> yeah, right. And because uh, and... I'm guessing the people that were there know who this dude is. He, he Spielberg won't say who this guy is, but oh, really? he is a real guy. These two guys are real people that he interacted with in high school. I'm guessing there's people in his high school that know who these people are. <laughs> That's great because he's. <laughs> He says, you got to promise you're never going to do that. And he's like, oh, I won't. I'm never going to do that. He says, unless I make a movie about it. Which he did. Bump. That's cute. That's funny. That's funny. I love the idea that Spielberg is kind of like, 
outing these guys without outing them. Like he mm-hmm. won't say who they are, but like right. he's saying, you know, whoever those of us that know know mm-hmm. who you were and what you did. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because he's kind of confronting. I think what's interesting about this movie is Spielberg is really kind of confronting all of the things that kind of formed him. This is as have, a child. This is like one massive therapeutic session (laughs) right like you just work through a bunch of stuff and it sounds like it was a very emotional set to shoot on like he broke down a lot doing different scenes but it sounds like they like recreated everything to his the house sets are look like the houses that he lived in yeah and like they got pictures of his mom when he when she was young you know when he was younger mm-hmm. and they recreated those outfits for oh, yeah. Mitzi and they actually had they actually had Michelle Williams wearing some of his mother's actual jewelry so oh, wow. i feel like this is just a big therapeutic just send off for Spielberg and (laughs) he gets to share some very, very personal stuff with everybody. You know, this, I feel like this is a very brave thing for him to do. Number one. Yeah. It's got to take a lot of courage to do that. Uh, And thank God he's an amazing storyteller. Cause this could have come off as very conceited, but the way it comes off to me is it comes off as like a love letter to the fans saying, look, this is where it came from. Mm -hmm. This is how I got here. And, Mm -hmm. I think you're going to enjoy it as much as I look back fondly on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. And I think it actually, even though it shows like the good and the bad mm-hmm. of his family, I do think it's like, this is my family and this is, this is the wonderful stuff that we've gone through or been through. And this is how, how I've become the person I've become. Mm-hmm. And, I guess his parents really begged him. This was something that was in the works. Like he had thoughts about it for Mm -hmm. many, many years doing this. And his parents both begged him to do it. Really? He is quoted as saying they nagged him (laughs) to do it. Now, he didn't actually write this script until the COVID-19 shut down. So he was doing it while there was no work going on. Right. Um, So his parents were okay with him telling the story too. That's good. That's good. Yeah. That's good. I think it's also important to point out that he doesn't ever only show himself in a good light. Mm-hmm. Like his character, Sammy, there are things that Sammy does that are questionable, mm-hmm. you know, like that, like him being like kind of a, like snobby about it, about things to the, the jocks, even after like, mm-hmm. you know, even after like all the other stuff, like now it's not saying that they didn't deserve it, but like he chose a path you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and I think it's important that, I think it's interesting that like he is still a flawed character. He recognizes that in himself, you know? But I think I think there's some self-reflection there that really makes a difference. Because he's not, I think that if Sammy is too unbelievably good, mm-hmm. then that becomes, oh, I'm, I'm so awesome. More of a, Check me out. like you said, conceited type right. thing. Right, yeah. yeah. But I think, I think Sammy having these flaws definitely uh, definitely humanizes him and humanizes Spielberg too. I think that's one of the things mm-hmm. about this movie that I really like is that it humanizes him because I say, to me, he was like a demigod, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I know that he's a human person, like a flesh and blood being, but like he's larger than life. This humanizes him to a degree that like I can look at him and go there. Inside of him, there's still that little kid with a camera pointing at his buddies in the Boy Scouts, you know? Like in him, he's still 
breaking down in front of his mother, you know? Like, there's still that kid. That kid exists, you know? Mm-hmm. It's a very Dr. Manhattan way of thinking about it, but it's true. Like, all those things still exist in us. They are part of our reaction to everyday life, and I, I really love that he is putting that out there. What what his inner reactions are are here for us all to see. For us all to see. Uh, Sammy goes home. He talks to Mitzi, and she tells her, or she tells him, she can't give up Benny because she loves him. And then she says, you can't give up filmmaking because you love it. You know, that this is, this is important for him to have this ballast to say, look, it's okay. You do this, you know, Mm -hmm. you do this and you find, you find your happiness there. You know, they reconcile. And then a year later, Bert, and Sammy are living together in Hollywood. Sammy has not been able to find work in his desired field. But he comes home one day and he feels like he's having a heart attack. And his dad comes home shortly after him and, and sees him and he listens to his heart. He says, no, it's a panic attack. Your mother had these panic attacks. And I used to make her tea. So he goes to make tea for him. But he gives the mail to Sammy and says, here, can you open the mail? They receive a letter from Mitzi in Phoenix. She and the girls have moved to Phoenix, and they send some pictures. These pictures inadvertently show Mitzi and Benny kind of being together, like, like, obviously together. You mm-hmm. know, this upsets Bert, and you know, Sammy says, "I want to drop out of college." Bert tells him he can't. He has he, <laughs> he says, "Look, you have to follow your passion. You have to do." what you are good at, what you love to do. You have to do film. He says, if that means you have to drop out of college, then you drop out of college. Mm-hmm. Right? And then they keep looking through the mail and they find a letter for Sammy from CBS. So the last scene in the movie we get is Sammy going to the CBS lot to meet with an executive to work on Hogan's Heroes, the TV show from the 60s. Sammy says, hey, I'm I'm interested in making movies more than television, but I'm willing to start anywhere. Right. Got to get my right. feet wet get somewhere. Right. foot in the door, yeah. yeah. The executive that he's meeting with says, hey, do you want to meet the greatest director that's alive in Hollywood today? And Sammy's like, fuck yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So he takes him to, um, to an office, and he gets to meet John Ford, who is the guy that created The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, along with hundreds of other movies and very much a, a, an, a, an influence on Spielberg's life. He meets with John Ford, who is played by David Lynch. When I love this. I love when David Lynch does cameos like this because he always does these like weirdo, batshit cameos. And this dude is great. This John Ford characterization is great. He sits down in front of Sammy and he lights a cigar... For an, an, an inordinate amount of time. Yeah, like, I'm he like, takes what a is long time here? to smoke a cigar. <laughs> and then, after he's done with his like minute long cigar lighting ceremony, he looks at Sammy and he's like, You want to make pictures? And Sammy's like, Yes, very much so. And he's like, Why? Yeah. <laughs> I love that about this is that John Ford knows that this is, this is something that's going to consume you, this is something that's going to chew up your life and eat you alive. You have to be very dedicated to be able to do this. And he's like, look, I want you to go over to that painting over there. What do you see? 
describe the painting for me. And Sammy, of course, is like, oh, there's two cowboys that are on their horse. And they're looking out over here. He's like, no, no, no. Where's the horizon? And Sammy's like, what? He's like, where's the fucking horizon? And the Sammy's like, it's right here. He's like, yes, yeah, down below. He's like, yeah, okay. And then he goes, look at this picture. He brings him over to the other picture. He's like, where's, show, tell me about this picture. He's like, okay, we've got like American soldiers and they're like over. He's like, no, no, no. Where's the horizon? And Sammy's like, here? Like he's being barked at by John Ford. Yeah. And it's this great scene of like, he's like really nervous. He's like, this is the horizon over here, right here, right? Is that what you mean right here? And he's like, yeah, that's right. He's like, it, like we get this moment where he says, if you want to be in film, you got to remember this. Up top, horizon, interesting. Down below, horizon, interesting. Right in the middle, boring as shit. <laughs> <laughs> and Sammy leaves with that information saying, thank you, you know, whatever. And he goes out to to walk into the sunset on the back lot. And just as he's doing that, the camera tilts down so that the uh, horizon, or uh, tilts up so that the horizon is not in the middle. It's down below because, as we just learned, that would be boring as shit. Also, that final camera movement yeah. was kind of a last-minute and prompty idea. Oh. It wasn't, like, written into the script that way. That was great, though. Yeah. That was great because it was, <laughs> it was like, good. a little wink. Yeah. A little wink from Spielberg to John Ford, wherever he is now. He's dead, but, you know, whatever that means. He, It's a little wink to someone who gave him his first piece of advice in, in Hollywood. And I love it. I absolutely loved that. Yeah. So. And that's the end of the movie. That's the last thing we see is... is Sammy walking off into the sunset. Hopefully, that doesn't mean Spielberg's walking off into the sunset, because I would like to see some more Spielberg movies, although I have read he does not know what he's doing next. Yeah, he I is... don't think he's retiring, but he says if he doesn't feel passion for a project, he does not want to do it. Right, yes, so absolutely. So he doesn't have a passion for something right now is how it was worded. I want to throw this out there again. Uh, he needs to do a movie about the Cuban Missile Crisis and get uh, Tom, Tom Hanks to come back and play that character from Bridge of Spies, get that shit done, man, because that yeah. would be amazing. Yeah. I, I would love to see that. Steven Spielberg, I know you're not listening to this, but if you were to listen to this or if anybody <laughs> that's associated with Steven Spielberg listens to this, just put that in his ear. Be like, hey, what about the Cuban Missile Crisis, man? This is a historical movie. You like doing that kind of Bridge stuff, of right? Bridge of Spies Part 2. Bridge of Spies Part 2. More Tom Hanksing. <laughs> right. I'm not good with titles, so... <laughs> All right. Do you have any other notes that you would like to share? Yeah, I have a couple other things. Okay. There was 8 millimeter and 16 millimeter camera props used in the movie. Sure. They had real film inside them. Oh, cool. And Gabriel LaBelle was being taught how to use those cameras so that way those shots could be later cut and spliced and put into parts of the movie. Oh, interesting. So he shot the so parts. So he was that... shooting and then they were shooting him and then oh, they were splicing it together. That's cool. Like that's that. very cool. Yeah. But do you know what that also leaves us with? Hmm. It leaves us with that scene at the beach where they're like, they're like running, the, the jocks are running and, and Sammy is filming it. And we get a shot of them running and Sammy's in the shot with a camera. <laughs> so yeah. how did he capture himself? on the opposite side of the race. <laughs> I don't know. That leaves us with that. So, I mean, I get it. Just maybe, you know, come on. A little bit. Like, there's little things like that that you catch sometimes, you know? Yeah. The movies that were created in this, so like when he was young and he mm -hmm. was creating those homemade movies. Oh, yeah. Those three movies were actual movies that he did. They and were. they recreated 
for this. I've seen some parts of these movies that he created back in the day, and they are very, very close to this. Yep. Yeah. He said they were trying to keep it real, but he had to redo some of the shots because he's learned a lot and he can't just <laughs> resist a great shot. So he did change them up a little bit. Yeah, come on, man. <laughs> come on. <laughs> and the last thing I want to say, this is uh, a quote from Spielberg himself. Mm-hmm. He said, my life with my mom and dad taught me a lesson, which I hope this film in a small way imparts. When does a young person in a family start to see his parents as human beings? In my case, because of what happened between the ages of 7 and 18, mm. I, started, I started to appreciate my mom and dad, not as parents, but as real people. Mm. Okay, well, let's talk about that for a minute. Do you have a moment that you recognize when you started to realize your parents were real people and not just a, your mom and dad? I think when my parents got divorced, maybe, where they were really struggling and they... I mean, I think we could, my siblings and I could see it was going to happen. I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on. And I was an adult Mm. when they got divorced. Sure. I was not a child. I was an adult. And I could see that happening. And I could see what was going on with both of them. I could see the hurt in both of them. And you look at them different then. That's not just my mom. That is somebody who is going through shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's the moment I could think of. There may be other moments too, but I think that's the one that stands out most Mm. to me. How about you? When my grandmother died, my nanny died, Mm -hmm. um, that's when I recognized that my mother was more than just my mother. She was a human as well, a a person with Mm -hmm. her own stuff. And the way that it happened is my mom came out of, I I was out in the front yard and my mom came out of the house and she said, give me one of your cigarettes. And then she had quit smoking for a while. And I said, what? I don't, what do you mean? And she goes, oh, don't cut, cut the bullshit. I know you smoke. Give me one of your cigarettes. <laughs> and I was like, all right, here you go. And we sat on the, on the, the step and we had a conversation about it. And I kind of realized what that meant. So my dad, I feel like he has always been kind of monolithic to me. I've never really, I don't think I've had a moment that humanized him in that way that I can recognize. I'll have to do some thinking about that because I do feel differently about my father now than I did when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Definitely see him as a person, but I don't, I, I guess because he's like kind of looms large in my life, I guess I can't pinpoint that moment, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. but I'm sure, I'm sure it had to have existed. It has to exist somewhere. So, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so and you, that was it. That was all your notes? Yeah, that's everything I've got. Right. I, I, re, I said everything that I have to say in the middle of this conversation. Uh, the one thing that I was going to touch on that you actually brought up was that the conversations with Bert and Sammy reminded me of my conversations with my father, which again, n- no bad people here. Like Spielberg actually says this. There's no villains in the Fablemans. Mm-hmm. There's no villains in my life either, but there mm-hmm. are things that have affected me and, you know, I recognize them, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. So, okay. So no other notes. Let's do this. Let's, let's talk about keep her into a race, Jennifer, and tell me why. I'm going to keep this one. Okay. This is a very good movie. The story is compelling. It's interesting. It's told really well. The acting top notch. I mean, the kid actors, the adult actors, they were all really great. Even Seth Rogen yeah. was amazing in this. We don't get that goofy Seth Rogen. We get the serious <laughs> We don't Seth even Rogen. get his goofy-ass laugh. Nope, nope. It, and he was very good in it. Yeah. Um, I 
I thought this was really good movie. Now, it's probably not one in all seriousness that I'm going to pull out and watch over and over and over again. Okay. Um, which typically those I'd put more in a rent. Sure. But this is a better than a rent movie. This movie is told well. It's very personal. And mm-hmm. I think I like that too, that Steven Spielberg put himself into this movie. And yeah. it's it's very personal. And you can feel that yeah. in this movie. I really enjoyed it a lot. So I am absolutely keeping this one. Okay. How about you? When we first started watching the movie, I was, I was a little put off by... Bert by the dad. And I don't know why. I don't know exactly what it is. I love Paul Dano, by the way. He's a fantastic actor. But I was a little put off by Bert and I was a little put off by Mitzi. I thought that the parents were a little overbearing at first. And so I wasn't quite sure what to do with that. And But once we got to Phoenix and we saw teenage Sammy and his relationships forming or evolving with his parents, I started to realize where this was going. I think it starts a little slow for me. But once we get to Phoenix, it goes gangbusters. And this is an emotionally charged film. This is a film that is going to speak to a lot of people on a lot of different levels. I think what's important in this movie is that it talks about things that everybody experiences. Everybody experiences these things, Mm -hmm. like being rejected by people, being accepted by people, being told by your parents you can't do that or you can do that or you should do that. that. Like... This is a universally applicable film. And I, I by the end of it, this may be one of the best films Spielberg has ever made. Hmm. And this is 100%, 1,000% a keep for me. I can't imagine not watching this movie again. I will definitely watch this film again. I just, I absolutely loved it. I loved the visual cues to what was going on. I think that he was so on point with so much of that. And... Again, just an emotionally charged film, and I loved, I absolutely loved the kid this, that played Sammy mm-hmm. later. Like, mm-hmm. not the young kid, he was fine, the young kid was fine, but the kid that played Sammy as a teenager and into a young man was so fucking spot on. Like, he was, an, he did an amazing job in this mm-hmm. movie, and his mannerisms giving him away as Spielberg were great. Like, he put, like it was like he put these little punctuations in there, like, you know who this is, mm-hmm. you know? Don't forget, we know who this is. Yeah. You know? And I, I, I couldn't take my eyes off him. The kid was, he was magnetic. Mm-hmm. He was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Great smile too. Mm-hmm. And Paul Dano was fantastic. Michelle Williams was fantastic. Everybody was fantastic in this movie. You can't, uh, Judd Hirsch. I mean, my God, I loved, I loved Uncle Boris. I, he had me cackling. That dude was really funny, but really heartfelt. Mm-hmm. I loved the themes. I can't say enough good about this movie. Mm-hmm. This, I'm, I'm like getting emotional, like talking about this movie right now. Mm-hmm. And, Yes, the 100%, 1,000% a keep for mm-hmm. me. So, Yeah. I think it helps, too, when you've got Spielberg, who basically has a family with his, his filmmaking team, like yeah. people he yeah. writes with, composers, yeah. cin- cinematographers. These people apparently, too, have met his parents. Right. So not only is he telling the story mm-hmm. about his parents, you've got people who are working on this film that know oh, yeah. what his parents were like too yep. and what his family's like, his siblings and stuff. So yeah. it just felt like a, it's just like a big family project almost. There's, there's a lot of love there. You can yeah. see it. You can feel it in the music. Johnny Williams put a lot of concert piano in this mm-hmm. like to make it feel like the mom's influence is always there. It just... Beautiful, beautiful. And the shots that Janusz Kaminski with his, like, especially that last shot 
Like, you think about that last shot about him walking off into the sunset. That could have been corny as hell, but it wasn't. It was mm-hmm. just a kid skipping down the back lot, but it looks like riding off into the into the, into the the sunset like an old Western, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Janusz Kaminski is so, like, cognizant of, like, the whole story as he's shooting these things, you know? And it just mm-hmm. it blows my mind how good this man is at what he does. Mm-hmm. Like, composing it like it's, a, like it's a fucking painting, you know? Yeah. And just... Yeah, I, uh, yeah, you're right. There's so much love in this movie, and I love this movie for it. And this is gonna go probably uh, like I watch Jaws once a year. I'll probably watch Fablemans once a year too. There like, you I go. can't like I can't st- I can't stop thinking about it. I've been thinking about it since we stopped it, and yeah, I love it. So, all right, let's talk about what's next. All right, let's talk about it. Jennifer, do you know what's next? I do know what's next. Do you want me to tell people what's next? Sure. Go okay. ahead. All right. Next week, right here on the couch, we have a surprise for you. Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to A View from the Couch, a Space Moose Media podcast. You can interact with our hosts on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash view underscore couch. You can also email us at a view from the couch at yahoo.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help us get noticed by leaving a five star review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks for listening.